Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, we're in the fifth week of our series of Jesus Said What? Um, because there's some things that Jesus just is surprising that comes out of his mouth. Just some things that are challenging. And again, the whole point of this series, as a pastor, I have us tracking through this so that we will have our hearts opened to the idea and the truth that God will and does speak to us in ways that challenges us, that some of the things that God will begin to reveal to us, um, they're, they're hard to hear sometimes. And so it's, we, we get going in a certain direction in our lives and we just kind of feel pretty comfortable in that space. And we don't realize um, that we're out of step. We don't realize we're creating some pain for ourselves and some other people because life's kind of been that way and we're all right with it. And then God begins to reveal, hey, no, let's make, let's make a course correction. Let's, let's begin to do this in a new and a living way. And we have to be ready to hear that. We have to be ready to hear that. And so that's the whole point of this series is for us to just be ready to let God bring some life-giving, fresh direction into our lives. And we've let off with this idea every time that some of the things that Jesus said were totally shocking because we were looking at things totally wrong. Just our perspective was just, our perspective was just off. It was just off. And so, and a lot of times, the more sure we are, um, it's harder for us to really shift and even question things that maybe we ought to question. That if we thought about it for a minute, we're like, I can get where maybe this isn't right. But it would just, we're just kind of comfortable with it. We're just kind of like, no, that's just, just the way things are. And um, I'm going to guess I'm not the only person in this room who has misheard some song lyrics before in their life. Okay? And with that, I'm going to guess I'm not the only person in this room who have then boldly sung the wrong lyrics. And so and then you're just convinced. You just heard it one way. You're just like, that's the song. That's what it says. And man, and you, just, you just lay it out there. And you don't even know until somebody just looks and you're like, what did you just say? Um, and in fact, uh, there's, a, there's a little um, saying we use in my, my household, especially with Cutie and I, um, when we feel like, eh, I don't think you heard me quite right. You're, you've, you've taken this idea in a direction. I didn't mean for you to take this. And, and we just drop this one little phrase and, and we, we just kind of get it automatically. And it came from a story with my baby sister, uh, my sister Heather, um, when we were growing up. And, and we grew up on, uh, on I, I guess, what's now considered classic country music. And so uh, the country music of the 80s. And so anybody listen to the country music in the 80s? So does anybody remember the old Oak Ridge Boys, and so, and um, anyways, there, back in the 80s, um, the 
80s radio stations, um, they like to do their programming much like Air One does. They pick like 12 songs and just play them over and over and over again. And so, and uh, that was really the country radio would be. And so you just hear like the same stuff. It's enjoyable, but the same. And so the Oak Ridge Boys, at some point in the early 80s, had a song that was a hit. That was on the radio, played a lot. And it was a song called Juliet. And so, and just the, the chorus goes, Juliet, oh Juliet, you have a smile that I can't forget. On the day we met, I made a bet. Someday I'd win the love of Juliet. Okay, catch a little song. We can see how, how country and rap can work together. Okay, all right. I realize some of you country purists, you know, are a little like no Florida Georgia line, but I'm sorry. They can go, they can work together. And uh, so, but my, my baby sister had heard this song and she's singing this song and she gets to the chorus and she hears, you know, Juliet, Juliet, you have a smile that I can't forget. Some, and um, on the day we met, I made a bet, tomato in the love of Juliet. And we're like, did you just say tomato in the love? She's like, yeah, that's the song. The song says tomato in the love. Like, what does that even mean? Which it's country music. Does it have to mean anything? I mean, it could have been tomato in the love. I don't know. But she was just so confident. She heard it. She just landed on it. And she did it. So now cutie and I, if we don't understand one another quite right. We'll go, tomato in the love? And they're like, okay, so we'll, we'll adjust it. And so, but there's a space where when you're confident that you have experienced something and heard something and come to the right conclusion, so many times something that doesn't even really make sense if you think about it. If you really were to analyze the situation, you could probably come up with a better way to do that space, but you've just been conditioned to say, no, this is just the way it goes. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is challenge our conditioning, challenge our experiences, challenge our conclusions, and points to us that he's got a higher, better way. That simply because something is commonly embraced as truth doesn't mean it's truth. And so if we're going to grow and go to the next step, we have to let God come in and challenge us in these different spaces. And for again, for us to be able to embrace that we've been off, we've been wrong, we've been told we're wrong, we have to understand that God doesn't point out the spaces where we're wrong just, just to point out that we're wrong, to condemn us or to, to make us feel foolish. And so that's why we jump off in this series in John three seventeen every time that for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He's anytime he, the Holy Spirit corrects you, it is not to bring condemnation. It's not to make you feel terrible. That is not the point. That is not the point. It's not to condemn you but to save the world through him. It's to bring salvation. I'm just gonna give you a heads up. Today's message is not to condemn you. It's to bring life to you, okay? Please understand that as we're about to get into this. But as we're about to look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most popular, most well-known sermon, longest sermon, we're about to see something pretty remarkable here that Jesus went to an uncomfortable extreme to teach 
that how we speak to each other matters. Jesus went to an uncomfortable extreme. Now, you didn't notice it when you've read the Sermon in the Mount the previous times that you've read the Sermon in the Mount. You didn't notice it because it did not make you uncomfortable. It didn't bother you because you didn't, you didn't know. You didn't know that that word had that weight. Whenever I was in high school in the summers, I would work on a masonry construction crew. So I would build um, uh, schools and prisons and that kind of stuff. And so I was, you know, a 16-year-old kid. And I, I would work all day with just, that, was, that wasn't their summer job. That was their job job. And, and so when I would, I would go and, and work, and a lot of the people that I worked with were uh, bilingual. And so they were... A lot of times they're speaking Spanish and around me all the time. And I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm out here. I want to learn some Spanish. Okay. And so uh, there was, I'd ask different words and they would tell me. And then I, there was this word that they would ask for a tool. They would ask for something and they would say, hey, give me that. And so, and then they would say this word. And I was like, what does that mean? And then it means like a, whatchamacallit, like a, like a, like a little, like a little thingamabob. And I'm like, okay. And so, and um, so I'm like, okay, I've got a new, I've got a new word. I did not know it was a vulgar word <laughs> for that. Thingamabob, whatchamacallit, doesn't have, there's nothing that in my world that has a, like a vulgar derivative connected with it. So one of my best friends in high school, his dad was a lawyer there in Odessa and, and we're all hanging out and it was a big birthday and all their families in and everybody's there and I'm helping out in the kitchen and I don't know the word for a spatula. So I'm sitting there and I'm going to drop my education in front of everybody. And I said, uh, hey, hey, Belos, can you pass me that? And I say it. And everybody goes, (laughs) and his grandma was going to get her chancla and hit me. (laughs) And I don't even know if that's a bad word or not. All I know is you you wear them on your feet sometimes. (laughs) And so, but I'm I'm sitting there and I'm just like, and my friend was like, I was like, I learned it on the job site. He's like, never repeat anything you learn on a job site, ever. I was like duly noted but it was one of those things I didn't know the meaning so it didn't bother me it didn't bother me I didn't feel ver- I wasn't using it in a vulgar way well we're about to read some scripture and what you didn't know is there's a, a vulgar word in your Bible to the point um, that translators don't translate it because they can't do it right so they just leave it alone in fact we're about to see that this is a word um, that if it was used at Jesus' time, you would actually be hauled in front of the court um, and you could be fined, um, you could be imprisoned for using this word, okay? Um, In our culture, there's only one word you're gonna like get a ticket for maybe saying you, you could be, you can, get uh, for being uh, for having vulgar language in there somebody complains and our officers can ticket that um, there's only one word that if it gets dropped in a movie it's automatically PG-13 if it gets dropped twice in a movie it's rated R there's only 
one of those words in our English language. Um, here is the equivalent of that word coming out of Jesus' mouth, not as a not as anger, not as all the stuff, but he says it. He doesn't allude to it. He says it to jar his audience to say, guess what? Um, I need you to understand what I'm talking about here in this space of dealing with your heart. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Yeah, it's shall not murder. That's, that's part of the big 10, part of the 10 commandments. Jesus is going said, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. It's like, you're, you think that simply because you didn't pull the trigger and you didn't take a life that you're in the clear, but I'm saying if you have that kind of hate, you have that kind of anger, the problem is still there. The brokenness is, is still there. Just because you didn't murder doesn't mean that you're in the clear. It says, I want to get, Jesus said, I want to get to the core issue of it, not just correcting external behavior, but I want to get to the source of where murder comes from, which is the heart. And then he goes on. He's like, okay, same type of flow. Here's one thing that's considered really bad, but I'm about to show you something that feels not as bad is just as bad. And he's same flow. And he said, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, I'm sorry, I said that out loud. That's it. That's, that's, that's the word. Raka. You're reading along your English Bibles. You're reading English, 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 English. And then all of a sudden, you get to a word that is a different language. It's Aramaic. They wouldn't touch it. There's a handful of translations that, that do it. One translation says, if you insult your brother, like I ain't even gonna touch it, I'm just gonna let you know this is what we're talking about. Others try to do it and say, oh, you empty head, which empty is part of the derivative of raka, but it's what, it's, what it means is this raka word, this was the word, it, it's about having disdain, having hatred towards someone. The reason the big F word is the big F word in our language and in our culture. The reason that when, it, when we happened in our household, our little six-year-old Brooklyn read it somewhere at, at, the, at the Unidad Park and said, what does blank mean? Or like, oh, <laughs> cutie's having the vapors. And I'm like, you know, it was like, I was like, I don't even know what the vapors are, but she had them. And it was, um, it was, it was just appalling. You're like this sweet little six-year-old little mouth just dropped that word. The reason it's so, we have a visceral connection to it. It's because it shows up. It shows up when we have this hate, this anger, this frustration, this thing that we want to express and there's not another word we can say. And our culture gets it when we throw that one into the space 
along with the intensity in our face, the inflection in our voice, our body language, it all communicates as much as we can possibly communicate the cauldron of anger and rage that are on the inside of me. And this is the only word that might make you get it. And we've all experienced it. Someone wanted to demonstrate their anger with us, their hatred towards us, their disdain towards us. So bad. And they, and they utilized that word to make sure and communicate it, that we didn't somehow miss it or we didn't get how angry they were. That's why it has that meaning in our culture. This, our word was that. Raka was that. To the point, it says that if anyone says Raka, you're going to be in danger of going to the council. You're actually going to get drugged before the court if you say the R word. And Jesus said the R word. Matthew wrote the R word. I'm sorry, I'm not Christ-like enough to say the F word in this message to communicate to you. I will simply say the F word. I will say it that way. But Jesus said the R word. He said it and it sealed up so that his hearers then and readers later and us all this time with historical context will get that yes, there's a space that there are things that just aren't right in proper religious culture. And we get it and we say, no, we don't want that. But there's a place where that same hate, that same anger, that same frustration can be boiling on the inside of it. And we put prettier, cleaner language on top of it. And it's still just as vile and messed up as actually dropping the word. You can put prettier, cleaner language on it. And it's still just as vile. He goes on and he says, this is Jesus saying, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. He says, if you say you fool, which is much more palatable, much more agreeable, much more common, he says, you're not, you're not having to worry about going before the council. I'm telling you, your relationship with God is at risk. Your eternity is at risk. You can hide behind cleaner language and be in greater danger. Why? Because it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. And that's why Jesus went to this shocking extreme and said this word not with the anger and the hate behind it, but laid it out there so that people could get the picture that it is about our heart. It is about our heart. Now he carries it to the next step in verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, you're worshiping. You're at church. You're connecting. You've got something you want to offer to God. It says you're there in the middle of it. You've actually journeyed all the way here and you've brought your, your gift to the altar and you remember that there's this place of tension. 
Leave your gift right there before the altar. Go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come over and offer your gift. Why? Because we can hide behind our religious activity. We can have things that are broken and messed up that we don't want to handle. But God, I'll do this for you. God, I'll give you this gift. God, I'll do go to this church service. God, I'll do this, but I'm not going to try to fix that. I'm not going to try to fix that. And Jesus said, you cannot hide behind religious activity and leave known fractured relationships on the wayside and come over here and think you can just do all this for me and everything's fine. No, we're called to love God and to love others. And we cannot try to double down on loving God to avoid loving others. This is this place where it is absolutely so incredibly challenging. Matthew 25, verse 37 says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Why is it so vital that we don't try to hide behind religious activity and avoid it? Because there's no such thing as an unholy relationship. If you are dealing with a person, you're dealing with someone made in the image of God. We've got to learn to treat one another like, the, like the, they're made in the image of God. Our brokenness comes because we treat one another less than the image you and I are made in. We abuse one another, take advantage of one another, disregard one another, have prejudices and brokenness and all that kind of stuff because we don't recognize the maker of what God has done and created. He says, you cannot, you cannot say, oh God, creator of all, I love you and disdain his creation. We can't do that. So how we speak, it's just as important as what we say. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So Jesus dropping the R-bomb is not a reason to say, well, we can just talk however we want to talk. No, Paul says, don't let it unwholesome talk. Our, the, as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, some of that stuff begins to work in our lives. Our vocabularies should shift. They should change. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Watch this that it may benefit those who listen. So there's words coming out of my mouth, entering in the ears of someone I'm directing them to. I've gotta be conscious of this relationship, but there's another set of relationships. Those that are hearing it. Those that are listening. Those that are overhearing how this is going on. Those need to be thought about. 
the way that we interact with each other is being overheard by others. And Paul says we need to be conscious of it. Moms and dads, be conscious of the way you speak to one another for the sake of the little ears listening. Be conscious. Be aware. It's vital. James chapter 3 verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak with a tongue of men or of angels, even if heavenly language is what's coming out of my mouth, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Even if it's heavenly language, if love isn't really there, it's just noise, 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 noise. You've probably heard the saying before that people will often forget what you've said, but they will long remember how you, you made them feel. And right now, if I was to ask you to go back and remember some elementary teachers or some junior high teachers in your life and the odds of you being able to remember one of the things they said verbatim is pretty low. Probably can't quote any of your elementary or junior high teachers exactly. But you can and you do remember how different teachers made you feel. You remember the teacher that made you feel like you could, you, you were intelligent and you had skills and abilities and you mattered and you were valued. You remember that teacher. You remember the teacher that treated you less than, that tar- talked to you harshly, that was, that was mean and aggressive towards you. you. You remember that teacher. You may not be able to say exactly what they said, but you know how they made you feel. That sticks with us. So why? Why would Jesus go to such extremes to address how we speak to each other? Why would Jesus, in his number one sermon, say an expletive, put it out there? Why would he go through that extreme? Because speaking in love is vital to our growth and maturity. He had to get it through to his audience. He had for us to understand that we can't just clean up the bad stuff and call it good. No, we actually have to step into love. Our language can't just be minus the naughty words. It has to be full of love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people who in their deceitful scheme <clears throat> in their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect 
the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Part of you and I maturing into the fullness of Jesus is you and I speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we can think, oh, I just want to get the download from, from God. I get the download from him, just me and him, that'll make me mature. No, this clearly says that speaking the truth in love, you and I speaking the truth in love, that's what helps us to step forward. And from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The reason the enemy fights us on the use of our tongue, fights us in the way we handle each other, is because it is so vital for the way we grow, the way we mature. Speaking the truth in love is what makes the difference in our lives. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. That was one of my favorite things about the men's retreat is I got to see these guys spending time with one another, encouraging one another, building one another up. It's already happening. It's already taking place in the body of Christ. It's already at work. And Paul saw it in the Thessalonians and he said, guess what? Just keep it up. Just don't let it fall to the side. Encourage one another and build each other up. Just as in fact you're doing. Our bottom line this morning is that that the tone of your voice matters. But the tone of your heart matters more. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.